Well, good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Overtime, which is our weekly podcast that we do. Um, it's actually regarding the weekend services and any questions that you might have. So I don't remember what week we're on. Normally I give you a week, but uh, that'll probably start to fade away as we get deeper and deeper into these podcasts because I don't want to be like, welcome to episode 78. Or we whatever. could say that. We I think could. It's either episode five or episode six. I, th- I don't know. I don't even remember. I didn't look at it. But it's okay. Anyway, we're going to jump into kind of the content of what we talked about. We've got one question this week that we're excited to kind of talk through. Um, but before we do that, just want to draw your attention. We always try and draw your attention to one or two things that are happening within the life of the church. Uh, this is the same thing that we mentioned last week, and that is this coming Monday. So hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Um, right now it's Tuesday when we record this, so it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving, great weekend. Um, hopefully we'll see you here on Sunday. I'll actually be preaching this week. Pretty excited for that. Um, but then Monday on December 2nd, we are going to be at Lincoln University once again at their kind of their Christmas mixer. Uh, what the campus has done is just invited us onto the campus where we'll be giving away um, chocolate chip cookies, cookies as a whole, um, and then apple cider. So we are encouraging our church to give. Last year is one of the highlights of their year. I still have students coming up to me and talking about how awesome it was that it helped them get through their finals and everything that's going on within the next week. So we really have got to show up. Last year we had probably about five to maybe 7,000 cookies. This year we're hoping for about 10,000 cookies. And the main reason is because last year students started to, towards the middle and the end, take those cookies to their dorm rooms. This year, they're probably coming in with the expectation that they can do that. So we're going to get a bunch of quart-sized bags and just kind of bless the students. So if you want to help with that, you can sign up for that at clcfamily.church slash signups. Um, there's a page for that. It says it's cookie time. Um, you can donate cookies. You can drop them off anytime over the weekend, starting on Saturday, um, all the way through Monday at about 3 o'clock. So um, yeah, so that's kind of what we've got for that. I'm going to actually turn my cell phone That'd be nice of you. Thanks, Ben. I was all sorts of distracted. Sorry about that. But I was right. mostly distracted because you said we're going to be giving away cookies as a whole. Like, did you did, did, did I, you feel like you need to clarify? Did you think that the people listening you know what? I don't know. are watching would have, are gonna, we did, we're going to break them in half? I'm not, like, here's half a cookie for I'm you? I'm not sure no. what I was thinking. I don't and I know that it was like a second ago, but I don't even remember. I don't even what know, like, I just how said. else do you give cookies? In you, parts? I mean, you could. As, a, as the cookie crumbles? <laughs> That's uh, the way okay. cookie crumbles. Anyway, so uh, that is kind of the, the highlight. We also have, uh, it's a full week next week on December. Uh, let me make sure I get the date right. December 6th will also be in Oxford. That's Oxford Main Street. That's the first Friday that they do. They've once again invited us to do kind of the... The Christmas carols that we've done for the last two years, this will be the third year doing that. So next week will be a full week. So mark your calendars. We hope to see you there. Um, plenty of ways that you can get in and jump in on what God is doing here in the church. And we'd love to have you be there. So, and we're going to be giving out drinks as a whole. Yeah, or as a half or whatever. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump into kind of the content that we have for this week. So we generally always start with a recap. So do you want to bring us up to speed with what we talked about this weekend? Yes, yeah, so we finished up a series uh, called the Jesus Creed. Uh, still the same thing. Creed's a set of beliefs that guide your life. We all got them, and uh, they're not really working out real well for us. We really kind of leaned into that analogy that all of us are climbing some kind of ladder, uh, and most of us have gotten to the top of that ladder and landed on a roof and realized it's not the roof we want to be on. So what do you do with that? Do you climb back down or you know, uh, do you jump off? I mean, what do you do? And, 
Uh, kind of the big idea is, uh, well, there is a, a, a person who has shown us a way, given us a way, guided our ways. His name is Jesus. He's not just a person. He showed up as a person, as a human, but he was God incarnate. It's really this and that neat little biblical term called the hypostatic union, meaning Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. And if you can't understand that, that's fair. I can't either, which means he's God. We're not. And so kind of the big thing was Jesus said, John 10, 10, that the enemy came to still kill the story, but he came to give his life to the fullest. And so for eight weeks, I've been trying to figure out what a full life looks like. And uh, kind of the big idea this week was a full life is about enjoying the things God gives us and, uses, and, use, and using them for his kingdom. So if you want to have a full life, you're going to be able to enjoy God's gifts and God's entrustment to us. But the way by which you enjoy the best is by using it for his kingdom. So, I'm looking at the way by which you change your behaviors. First, you change your thoughts, then you change your beliefs, then you change your behaviors. So, yeah. if we can start seeing God as big and great and perfect and always going to do what he says he's going to do, always bending and shaping things for our good and his glory, then we can trust that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we can trust that, then we can trust that his ways are higher than our ways and better than his ways. And so, therefore, our best option is to go, if God designed us, God knows us, and God has a plan for us, the best thing I can do today is just obey him. Yeah. And that's... Uh, obedience and that adjusts our behavior and as that behavior just kind of the big thought would be okay is it possible is it possible that the way that god has entrusted things to us is so that we can now live actively in his kingdom mm-hmm. by you know one of the things we looked at this week was money and yeah. money as a resource and Big, two big questions that we kind of were reshaping thoughts, beliefs, act, uh, behaviors. First one is one of the big questions we ask in the church world is how much should I give? Uh, but in light of God's kingdom, I think a better question that we should be asking is how much should we keep? And uh, then the, uh, the second big question is why don't I have what I don't have? Hmm. We really are pretty focused on that instead of pausing and really, really thinking about all the good and stuff that God has given us. Philippians 4, it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Right. Uh, we're in Thanksgiving week. It's really a good moment uh, to to pause and be thankful for things. You go, why has God given me the things he's given me? And the answer is always for us to enjoy them and use them for his kingdom. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, we were, it was specifically, you were in Luke 18 and 19. And That's um, right, yeah. you even compared... Uh, like you kind of compared the rich young ruler with Zacchaeus and then even kind of brought in the, the 10 Midas. Is it Midas? Midas? I think Midas is a Greek god. Yeah. Minus. M-I-N-I-A-S. I should have looked up that word okay. before. I, yeah. but I, I think Midas is a Greek god. Yeah, Briggs he was. Will tell me. Maybe he was a, a Briggs really, really into Greeks. He Greek. just remembers everything he reads. Okay. And so he's read it before and. I never did. So, well, that anyway, that comparison was was pretty cool to kind of see, and I think that we'll probably talk more about that as we go through this. Um, uh, but there was two things that I, I kind of wanted to, to lean into a little bit uh, that you mentioned, and, and I usually go to the Saturday service, so I'm not sure if it changed at all. It just got longer. It just got longer with each and every service. It just kept so getting longer. That's, that's actually the secret. If you want a shorter service, show up to the yeah. Saturday. So the thing I'll tell you real quick before you ask the question, yeah. I forget it. Uh, Christian always sends me a text, Christian, our, our production director and high school director, um, on Sunday afternoon and goes, which sermon do you want posted yeah. online? Yeah. And there's a new rule. I'm just going to say whichever one's the longest. If you don't make it here on Saturday or Sunday, you You're, get the long version. We're going to get all of it. So okay. you gotta, honestly, 
Got an hour and six minutes to catch up. I would not recommend two times speed on these things. No, this that, week. that would be impressive. A lot of material, yeah, that'd be yeah. impressive. So, uh, <laughs> but my question in that is, there was two things that you you said specifically on Saturday. Yeah. I know that you mentioned it there. I'm assuming you did the same thing on Sunday, mm-hmm. but you said two things that you normally don't do, and the first was to kind of to pause a little bit to celebrate, kind of specifically what God has done. And then the second one was to talk about finances. Yeah. So I guess I, I kind of wanted to lean into that. Like why, why the change this week? And then I think because I know you as well as I do, I've seen you a couple times around yeah. the office. Yeah. Um, was that difficult for you? Because your personality, as you describe is ready, shoot, and then aim. Yeah. So uh, I guess why the change, why this week? Like, what do you feel like maybe is God stirring something in you just feeling like that's something that we should do? And then how did that feel? <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it's, I, I shared this on Saturday and Sunday. A lot of this has to do with what I teach, I believe. And my, one of the big dilemmas for me, just to be very candid with all of you, is I'm always wrestling through, as I teach this, have I actually applied this? Like, as a, as a teacher, part of the dilemma is I'll hear a concept, thought, read the scriptures, and go, boy, that, uh, that, that makes sense. Like, and so I, I, I'm thinking through concepts and going, how do we actually explain these, point them out? And uh, some of the danger in that is it can go uh, from my head, somehow circumvent my heart and soul and come back to the other side of my head, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good thought. And so uh, I think it's really, really important, uh, particularly to love you guys well, lead you and all that kind of stuff that I'm digesting these things. And it's interesting is I've been talking through, you know, eight weeks of how do we model a life that follows Jesus uh, stuff is kind of rising up in my own life going, wow, there's some real, there's some real thoughts there that I can't quite contain. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fear, I think I shared with you a couple of weeks back that kind of my, um, my, uh, escape is job boards. Like, okay, if things go bad, how do I go create a second job or how do I do these things? And so just was noticing that I wasn't sleeping real well. And there's just a lot of, uh, those, uh, thoughts that are just popping up and since the thoughts are popping up and I thought, man, I, I need to contain those, right? And so uh, I'm sharing it with Christian and you, others, that the, the scriptures actually say that you could take every thought captive. Yeah. And I've been suspicious of that. And because uh, I just have lots of thoughts all the time, lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. And most people think I talk, talk really fast, but they I talk at a very slow rate compared to what's going on in the thoughts <laughs> in my head. And that's not bragging. I don't love that this is what my world's like, but it's, it's my world. And so if you go, if you could take those thoughts captive, what does that mean? And, when I think about taking thoughts captive, I literally think about what it looks like to arrest a, a suspect. You literally, you're identifying the suspect and you are you are um, taking a captive. You're handcuffing it. And so, so much of it is trying to drag through thoughts to my head and go, oh, that one, that one's not true. Oh, that's not even true at all. What am I, how in the world did I end up there? How in the world did I let, end up in that panic or dealing with that anxiety, right? Failing in advance. I'm coming yeah. up with a solution and going, I just got to... I gotta figure out somehow to um, put handcuffs on a lot of thoughts. But if you really think about how you actually overcome some of those things, it's more than just taking the thought captive. If I were to tell you to just sit here and do nothing, that's impossible for you, right? If I go, don't think about whatever it is. So don't think about red shoes. You're thinking about red shoes. In fact, you're probably thinking about my Converse. Yeah, that's exactly uh, where I just went. Really, see, yeah, I just that, thought of your red shoes. See, that's how that that process works. I told you not to. Now you're doing it. I'm wondering you're, if you're wearing. Them. No, I'm not actually. No. I'm wearing okay. fancy shoes. Uh, <laughs> So, in fact, I'll show you everybody. Now, now everybody's so, curious to so see. So, these it. are what I'm wearing right here. Yeah. So they must I, be easy to yeah. get on and off. That, yeah, they are. Uh, these are. They're like, they're not. So, anyway. So, if I say, don't think about red shoes, you're right. not only thinking about red shoes, you're not just thinking about that. You're actually following your own train of thought now right. while I'm talking. And so, right. it's like, you can't just tell your brain not to do something. 
So what you know is if you want your one to do something different, like if you're looking at something on the television, you should on the computer, you should. You can't just go don't look at anything and just sit there and stare at the TV or stare at the computer. Right. The best option you have is actually to put something different in your mind right, right. to change the channel to. Uh, you know, sit down on the computer and pick up a book, whatever it is. You actually have to replace whatever those thoughts are with some new ones, which I think they've been working through this thing. And I think that's what we're kind of getting at, or Paul's getting at in Philippians chapter 4. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes, and again, I say rejoice, as if, like, you're thinking it. And then as I say, look at my red shoes, and you go, I wonder if they're converse, or I don't think about red shoes, right? So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. My first thought is going, well, but I can't rejoice about Right. The mess okay. at, um, on our in our budget. Or yeah. I can't rejoice about the plight of the world. I can't rejoice about the poverty. So immediately I hear this statement, and my initial response is to think about all the reasons you can't yeah, rejoice. Right, right. And then he says it again. Then no, no, no. Focus, rejoice. Right. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, rejoice. Focus, focus. And so there's something about going. No, there. Again, it's just positioning. You got to look at those things, and that's where he talks about thinking about things that are noble and right and good. You yeah. know, and so that passage has just kind of been this thing in practice and going. So it's not just, I just want to sit around and think about good things. It's, oh, no, don't have that thought. What can I have instead? Yeah. God has been really gracious. Our church is really good. We have hundreds of volunteers. God has uh, done so much here, right? Instead of all these different things about what I've done messed up or whatever it is, it's like i got to replace those thoughts with some better thoughts. So the celebration was, it is actually, it's interesting you go, is it, it's about a pause. I'm like, Actually, because I'm not very good at pausing, <laughs> that I can't just sit there and yeah. you know empty myself. Right. So maybe one day, maybe that's what God wants. Maybe he wants me to be still and know that it's God. But you know that kind of stuff. But it's in that that I'm being still, and now I'm actually reminding myself in those things that right. He's God, and that He's good. And so, just not something I do very often. Right. I'm always thinking, what's wrong? What can I fix? I walk into the building, and I, I, I just I notice the wires. Yeah. I notice right. what's missing. I notice the chips on the wall. I notice it's just part of this. It's got to get better. Uh, right. Mentality, instead of posturing myself and my eyes and my mind to all the good stuff that God has. And that's why I talk about it all the time. Yeah. The very things we are grumbling about today are the answer to prayer requests from yesterday. The house that you complain about cleaning is the house that you ask God to let you buy. Yeah. The spouse that annoys you is the spouse that you ask God to let you marry. Right. The kids that you have that are healthy, healthy. You ask for those healthy kids. And guess what healthy kids do? They run and they scream and they jump and they break things. So all this stuff is actually a response to God's graciousness to us, and it has everything to do with just yeah. our posture. And what I love about all that is you think about all that celebration and thinking about all the stuff that God does. What it actually says is it says, the God of peace will be with you. Mm. Notice that. It doesn't say peace will be with you. Mm. Peace comes, but it's ushered in yeah. in the it's person presence. of God. And right. so it's like you don't just get peace. You get God, why do you get God? Because you're thinking about all of his goodness and his yeah. grace, and he's just being ushered in. And so this God of peace, which is, by the way, we get, you get to talk about this week, this yeah. Emmanuel coming in with us, is a story of Christmas that the God of peace yeah. is ushered in. And yeah. so so it happens when you prepare and wait and celebrate. So that's been kind of the process. Yeah, I feel like I'm similar yeah. in your personality in the sense that I'm always kind of going from thing to thing. Sure to you thing. are. Um, maybe not to the same level, but I'm I just joking. I just feel like I think that Man, when I do actually pause mm -hmm. and just kind of reflect on God's mm -hmm. goodness, I'm always—I don't know why—but I would say that I'm always amazed. Like, oh yeah, that's amazing oh, yeah. how good God has been, and and I even think that it's important. Like, I, I recognize that not everybody has the same personality where you're going from thing to thing. Some people listening may be like that. Some people are maybe a little bit more of the reflective yeah. type, just at baseline. And and I think what was good about this is not only is it 
thanking God for what he's done. But it was also an opportunity to just say, hey, we've got, yes, we've got a great staff and they, they do a lot of hard work and we're so thankful and appreciative for them. But the church as a whole is is really trying to go after what God has for them. Yeah. So, so for me, yeah. in my reflection or in my pausing is going, man, I am blessed to be part of this church yeah. that God has surrounded Absolutely. so many people in our congregation that are are hungry, I'll say, to, to impact the community and specifically you know, I'm outreach, so I, I can see the volunteers, and I know the volunteers, yeah. and people are talking to me all the time. So, I think it's awesome to just pause and reflect. And you, you had said something. I think I had heard you say this before, but you said when our faith and God's faithfulness collide, miraculous things happen. And I just was thinking that maybe for the first time, in light of how good God has been, and in our congregation, how good God has shown up and done incredible things. Yeah. So, so, when you think about it, you go, "Well, how do you how do you operate in faith?" Well, you take what God's given you and yeah. use it in a way that he's called you to, right? That's yeah. your resources. That's your life. That's your time. That's your money. It is impossible to have faith without resources, yeah. right? There's something about taking an inventory of what you have and going, okay, God, I believe you've given me this. You've even given me uh, um, That wasn't my phone yeah, this time. Sorry that was about his that. computer. Let me cut that down. Uh, so, <laughs> I, you know, so even the courage you give me, all these are gifts from God. So the, the thing is, is, you can't really talk about faith without talking about stewardship right. because faith by definition is, you know, uh, trusting God with all of you, even when your senses tell you otherwise. Yeah. Right. And so does that, and so that's why I think it's, you, you have faith in all these things. Like even when we think about it, it says in the scriptures, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now think about Thanksgiving. Yeah. You just have this big plate in front of you and some of you will scarf the food, trying to get more. And there's so much that you're doing there. You're putting so much stuff in your system. You look there and go, Oh, I ate all that. Not even to pause in the moment and actually enjoy mm. each one of those bites and then go. Even in that, it's saying taste and see. Like mm. you go, even when the things God gave us were senses, senses, so, you know, touch, taste, smell. So you go, even those things have somehow been given to us so that we can somehow experience God and walk in faith with Him. And so there's just so much in our daily life that we just miss that in the hurry or the yeah. just getting from thing to thing and not actually pausing. And going, let me reposture myself to see this as a moment where I can experience God and be used by God and celebrate God, know Him better, and therefore know myself better as a result. So I think yeah. there is something really important about thinking about all that God has given us in light of you know just what's going on around us because mm -hmm. it just seems. I mean, I love that, that old hymn. It says, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." And things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right, right. So it really does seem to happen as you really focus on his glory and grace in our lives. It does seem like the rest of the stuff kind of just dissipates yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So that's good, kind of celebrating what God has done. But also then, uh, if I can lean into this part a little bit. Yeah. So money, like uh, as a staff member, you know, I feel like that's not a topic that you personally enjoy, not that you mind talking yeah. about it, but just there's always, I'll say some caution there whenever you talk about that. And I know that you talked about it over the weekend, but what what's your hesitation or maybe your caution with talking finances? Oh, that's fair. Um, I mean, one, Jesus talks about it a lot, but it's not in the context of Western culture. Yeah. And so I, as, as we sit here, I'm looking out through the studio windows and, you know, there's people getting ready for Christmas and all sorts of, lots of stuff, but... It's kind of weird to look at all this and then imagine 2,000 years ago as Jesus is communicating in the synagogue. Right, and kind of right. So it's, to be honest with you, there's a, there's a level of discomfort for me because I am one of, I mean, you got mortgage, you got utilities, 
but I'm one of the largest expenditures for our church. Yeah. You know, like 5%, whatever it is, you know, whatever that number is, I'm 1%. I mean, I'm I'm more than, I'm more than a hundredth of the expenditures in our church. And frankly, that, it's really uncomfortable. Like, and I think that's what God's called me to do. I think this is like, I couldn't imagine doing this plus another job. But then I think about all these folks at our church that are, you know, they're, they're working 40, 50 hours a week and then serving five, 10, 15 hours. Right. And so it just feels really strange talking about it as not the pastor, but as the, the chief of staff. Mm. And so get yeah, that piece. And I, I mean, it, there's not a week that goes by that I don't wonder if there's a better way to spend my the personnel budget that goes to me. Mm-hmm. Should I get another job? And you know, this just my own brokenness and all those things. So you got that piece of going, ah, oh, it gets really uncomfortable because all I really want to do is pastor and shepherd our folks well. But there at the end of the day, you know, like you always talk yeah. about one of the things that you people say is uh the church isn't a business, it's a hospital for sinners, you know, whatever it is, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but a hospital for sinners can only Stay a hospital so long if it doesn't have a balanced budget. <laughs> so there's just like you get yeah. all this cultural stuff there's that kind of comes in. It goes, how in the yeah. world do I do that? And I want to do it so objectively, but uh, my mortgage is somehow tied to the giving of people in our church, and so yeah, it's complicated. I don't know how to right? talk about it and not, and be honest about it and go, guys, this is just so confusing, and I'm so thankful and. I mean, I'm so grateful that on the 1st and the 15th, there's a check that goes to my bank account. And I, and I wake up most days going, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. Mm-hmm. And yet you got the whole other piece that, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out how the balance budget is with our team. And so you got that whole piece, just the regular nonprofit piece. And I got to sit aside and go, okay, that's one thing. You know, what I don't want to do is manage and communicate the scriptures in a way that has just that insight. Right. So I'm right. going, no, no, no. I think if we right. all entrust God, if we give God our best, if we see the local church for what it is, the hope of the world, then all this stuff, that the church, the business, with the right people and the right resources, will, will kind of, it'll work itself out. God yeah. will define that. But it is kind of hard to go, okay, here's the big iron wall between all the budget stuff and also what I want for folks, you know? And so, and then you so that's why I try to go, okay, Lord, I just want to read the scriptures and talk candidly and honestly about those and how they should change our behavior. What we know about our wrong thoughts and beliefs is our wrong thought that says, if it's to be, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. I got to figure it out. I got to solve it. I got to be the solution. Or I got to find some other human being who is a solution, right? There's, it's always around the corner. It's the next job. It's the next person. And so that's a wrong thought. And the belief is that if there's going to be any hope, I'm going to be the one to find the hope. And I'm going to be the one to create the hope. One of those two, right? Or that there is just no hope. And none of that's true, right? So yeah. Jesus said that he came to steal, uh, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but he, Jesus, came to give life and life to the full. So he came to, said the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So if all that is true, that means that somewhere in all this, Jesus actually still has a plan. And if he actually has a plan, that would actually, that our obedience would, and, and, you know, somehow intersect with his omnipotence, again, miraculous things that we would see, then we'd go, okay, then we need to follow Jesus' words. Yeah. And he talks a good bit about money. And when he talks about money, particularly in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he actually says, talks about money, and then he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Meaning that those things are just always going together. They are tethered together. Wherever your treasure is, your heart's following. Wherever your heart's going, guess what's coming with it? Your treasure. Now, he's not saying money's treasure. Now, for some of us, it is. But I don't think that's our real treasure. I think our real treasure is what money can buy us. Control, power, security, comfort. I've written that. I wrote that yeah. way that it's a, a way that um, 
a way to see the thoughts, the beliefs, and the behaviors is kind of looking at your finances. Like, yeah. where does that go? Is that tied to your thoughts? So, so you got so you got a couple of issues. One, you got the whole nonprofit. I got to yeah. run that. Make sure I feel as chief of staff that I have to make sure we do that yeah. well, and we'll make sure we spend well. And there's frankly, there's a lot of opinions on that. Like, yeah. There's opinions on whether or not uh, we should. Uh, buy different communion juice because it's cheaper, more expensive. The rock wall for the back of the stage. I mean, there's just lots and lots of comments. Like last year, we spent 35 grand to replace all the outside lights. And we'll get that money back by the end of next year. But still, like, that's your big expenditures. And so there's got a lot of that going on. So you got that whole piece that you got to figure out. And then you got that. So just the nonprofit. Then the fact that I work for the nonprofit, you got my own piece. And then you got the scriptures that you're just trying to teach and, you know, communicate and all those kind of things. And the problem is, is, I feel really, oh, the, the, yeah, so the last big piece that makes sense to me is I feel a ton of insecurity about time every single week. Because I'm like, I want people to understand mm-hmm. the scriptures. I want people who have never been here before mm-hmm. to be able to understand the whole thing. I don't want them to have to wonder what the gospels are. Right. So there's a there's a lot of intentionality going, how do we set up the message so that ever, so everybody can come along, right? Right. right. And now I'm going to talk about money. And if I'm going to talk about money, then don't we have to cover all this stuff? Do I, how much of this do I have to just get out in the open? Do I have right. to hear all these complications? So you got all these weird things that come with money that have nothing to do with the scriptures. Yeah. So one thing that maybe I should just open up the scriptures. Today. We're going to read about a ruler, Zacchaeus, and a, yeah. you know a, a parable. Yeah. But it's like, boy, I just want to talk about all that. And then I go, well, let me tell you about our budget. Not because I'm trying to get you to fix our budget. Because I just want it all out there so we can all sort it together. Right. And so right. it's the same reason... Um, we don't do communion every week. It's not that I don't think it'd be good to do communion every week. It's just how do we communicate communion every single week? Yeah. And how do we do that in a good time? So where I've kind of just come to the Lord and go, God, we're going to chart out scriptures and we're going to sort through these things. And when you get us to these scriptures, we're going to face them head on. Yeah. And so it took 20 minutes to set it up, but then we yeah. face them head on. So yeah. I don't know if that's... Uh, no, I, I think that's good. Yeah. I One of the things that you say that I, I feel like I really appreciate is that you know, God doesn't, he's not wanting your money. He's not after your money. He's after much more than that. He's after your heart. And so I think that as you're talking about where your money is, there your heart will be also. And and so I think that it's important because Jesus does talk about it a lot. And many of us, as we're personally reading through it, we have that personal connection. But as far as a church organization standpoint, it gets a little bit complicated. So I feel like I can relate with that. Um, but also at the same time, I don't think I put that mm-hmm. as much thought yeah. into it as as yeah. kind of the direction that you're coming from. So yeah, and so yeah. By the way, if you're going, hey, I'd love to know what's going on there. You're always welcome to call the church office. Yeah. We'd be happy to tell you where where we are and that kind of stuff. We're trying to be a good steward of our staff time. Not trying to print out a bunch of you know quarterly reports. Also, don't want a bunch of papers just laying around. Right. But at the same time, we're, we're we're happy to discuss and walk through all of it because right. right. we're trying to operate transparently and just be, okay, God, it's all yours anyway. So if you're going, well, I don't don't think my money's tied to my heart. Well, uh, the neat thing is there's really two very simple ways to check that out. You can look at your, your spending statement and you can look at your calendar and your, your statements, credit card and checking account statements and your calendar will reveal to you really where your heart kind of is pointed and focused, hmm. right? Many of us are pointed and focused at, you know, our job. And so a lot of our time and energy is there. Many of us are pointed and focused at our retirement. So we're trying to figure out how to, you know, increase those numbers. And so there's something in that that I think is a really good litmus and indicator more than anything else. Going, okay, we've, we got to look at money because it really is a nice little rubric to show what's going right. on right. with their heart. Not that, but we can't look at it to go, this is what, if you would do this, the church would be better. 
God's got this. No, he plans on using people through it, but we got to make sure the motivation is about our art, yeah. not about uh, meeting budget. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thanks for kind of fielding that, and thanks for hanging with us as we've gone through it. So yeah. kind of specifically getting into the text. So let's start with this rich young ruler that kind of comes up to Jesus yeah. and goes, hey, so, you know, all these things I've done, all of the law, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, yeah. mind, strength. Yep, yep, got it, done. Um, what else do I need to do? And, yeah. and Jesus' response to him is is pretty interesting. And that's where you start to compare, like, as we walk through that, verses 24 and 25 um, uh, is where Jesus says that it's harder for, uh, let me just read it. It says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It almost seems like Jesus is being really firm with this guy. But as you were talking through the message, you're saying that that was more of, Jesus kind of peering into his heart, maybe seeing what he lacks. Yeah. Uh, like, is that, is that inaccurate? Yeah, I think it's both. I think, I mean, well, when you see he asks the question, he goes, how do you inherit the kingdom of God? And first he goes, why do you call me good? Really, yeah, really interesting. Right, so he's right. like, let's poke around at that because your understanding of your depravity is really important here. Yeah. Like, how do you determine who's good? Like, how, like, I think that would be the first thing he's going, okay, you're trying to get eternal life. And you're calling me good teacher. And since the beginning of time, that's still the big conversation here is how good is good enough to get there. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is now defined as someone that's good enough according to this. And he goes, oh, you, let's actually figure that out. And I think it's actually a really good question to all of us. Going, well, how good is good enough? Mm -hmm. If we start with that question, just stop and think, oh, how good is good enough? Then where's the where's the line? And, you know, like, so it's, he, he so he's, he's already kind of, challenge him a little bit of going, why do you call me good? Yeah. He should call him good because he's God. And then after that, he immediately quotes what's Deuteronomy, right? So he quotes the um, Israeli law. You know, he, he, he quotes what Mosa, the Mosaic stuff and going, hey, here's the things, you know, these things. And because these are, by the way, an indication of what's going on in your heart, right. right? So this is how you respond in those things. And so he's, he's kind of, he's bearing the lead and giving him a bunch of other stuff to kind of pay attention to. And so... What he's noticing about this guy is this guy, my, my assumption here, is really, really good at performance, which mm. religion does one of two things for us, right? Yeah. And we all like religion. We don't say it. We just create our own religion that we do like because we think we're good at it until we're no longer good at it, right? And so religion always creates one of two different postures. One is really, really hopeless and defeated because you go... I can't do all those things. You compare yourself to the other people, the one who has spends money better, has better kids, and all that kind of stuff, and you go, they're good at it, I'm not, therefore I'm a bad human being. Or on the flip side, you're better at it than everybody else. Right. So this leads you in this place of pride. And so Jesus is poking a little bit at his religion, and what he's seeing, I think, in this is just this level of pride in this guy. This guy is telling himself that he is good enough to climb the ladder and get on top of the roof he wants to get on. Mm -hmm. And so he's... Kind of leading him into it. Now, what, what what we know is what gets your attention is what creates tension, right? Not not just cute little stuff. So he's leading him, and this guy's leaning in, going, "Oh my goodness, everything I've ever thought, I am I've been climbing the right ladder, right?" So you see this. This guy's climbing it, and then he tells him what he has to do. Or he 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 tell him what to do. He quotes Deuteronomy, and he gets on top of the roof and goes, "Here I am, right? Like yeah. here I am. I'm on top of the roof." And then all of a sudden, this is where Jesus goes. Look down. Yeah. Is this where you wanted to be? You know, like it's literally the picture of that climbing, climbing, climbing. Okay, do these things, do these things. To get on top of the roof and finally feel like the, the lifestyle you have, the creed you've operated in is everything you wanted. He's on top of the roof. And Jesus then has him kind of go, is this the roof you're supposed to be on? Hmm. And then he tells him the roof he's supposed to be on, which is 
not a corporate ladder, not a um, moral ladder. And so he's basically going, you should look down. Hmm. And the, this guy's immediate response is what matters with these sadness. Yeah. All this work, all this energy, all this accumulation of wealth yeah. for this, right. to find out that I'm not getting into the kingdom. By the way, this is not a parable. This yeah. is a real story. Yeah, that's good to point this out. This is a real story. And so what does that mean for this guy? Yeah. What you see here is at this point, maybe something changes. He chooses to walk away from God's kingdom, which there are only two kingdoms. Those who stand in opposition and God's kingdom. Right. So he literally said, nope, I guess this is the roof I'm going to be on. And so you see that and it's like super sad. So yeah. you feel that going, this is not a parable. The last one's a parable. This is a true story about yeah. someone who saw Jesus face to face and goes, I like my things better than you. Mm-hmm. That's tough. It is tough. And it's what we do as well. We yeah, do it on a daily absolutely. basis. We go, we like our stuff better than you. We like our money better than you. We like our resources better than you. And so literally you see the picture of, well, how much stuff to give? Yeah. Not not the other side of going, okay, well, I guess this is all I need. Yeah. Here you go, Jesus. You know, so. And I feel like, so in that, I think I'm thinking through myself yeah. personally and I'm going, I guess I really like the illusion of control. Like I'm the type of person where if we're going to drive somewhere, I want to be the one to drive because I want to determine what route we get there with. I want to determine the speed in which we get there, what we listen to. Like, And I know that it's all an illusion, and you, you were talking about that, but it, it almost even seems like for this rich young ruler, like maybe he's looking for that comfort or that illusion, illusion of control yeah. or security that those things are more important to him than yeah. Jesus' words here. Yeah, so – I mean, I think what we find out here is he's not looking for guidance. He's looking for affirmation. Yeah, right. And if your God affirms you in everything that you do, yeah. <laughs> he's made in your own image. Yeah. not You're not made in God's right, image. Right. So there is something here you go, God, I wish I could have talked about this on Sunday. I just didn't have time. But like, he is not looking for guidance. He's not looking for a command. He's not right. looking for direction. He yeah. is looking for affirmation. He goes, no, no, I'm already, I already know the way I'm going to Baltimore. Yeah. I just want you to tell me it's a good way. Yeah. Right? And so when he gets direction, he goes, ah, nope, not really that interested in it. And so there is something about this that most of us are looking for affirmation mm-hmm. from our little God. Then we are going, we have come to a conclusion that we can't fix ourselves, that our way is not the right way. Only God's is. His kingdom is the only one that matters. Right. And when we go, then please guide us in whatever ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. So please guide us in that way. Direct us in that way. It's not just tell us that that you're proud of us for right. whatever our behavior is. Now, there's a lot of pride and celebration and love and grace that comes from God towards us. But if that's all we're getting from him and not direction, he's not our God. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I would be curious. Um, why do you think you want to drive and uh, determine the? Uh, why do direction. I think? Yeah. Oh, I, I do. Yeah. Right. I think it's the idea of control. Like, yeah. What does what does control do for you there? Um, that's a great question. Yeah. I, what does it actually do? Not really all that much. Like I think it like creates like oh I, I'm happy with this because I set the speed. Yeah. But then or if traffic's bad, I'm like okay I'm slow and then I don't want to drive. Yeah. But I don't think it actually does anything for me. I yeah. think that it'll be fulfilling. But it actually doesn't. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and so for me in that, it's it's not more about being in control. Oh, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Uh, it's more about not trusting the other people. Mm. Okay. So what I'm actually doing is going, okay. well, it's not that I have to have my way. I, I just, now, I'm not going to say that with my wife. Yeah, no, but, but I think there's I something think in there. Is there is a yeah. level of pride yeah. in that that, in my mind still, was I haven't come to grips that I don't know the way. Yeah. I'm not that good. I'm not that extra special. 
I can ride in a car the same way I can drive it because I don't need to be in charge because whoever else is in charge can do it at least as good a job as I can. Yeah. And so for me, a lot of it is still kind of this uh, revelation in me and revealing in me that I don't, I have a really hard time trusting. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's because I had some bad experiences in that, but it's going at the same time. I'm either going to be alone and have to be responsible for everything, or at some point we go, I don't have to trust you, but I can trust that God is still Lord over whatever that circumstance is. And so that's really the help in this. And I'm going, okay, I relinquish control. You're not relinquishing that to another human yeah, being. Yeah. You're actually saying, I trust God and his providence and his plan over anybody's plan or direction. And so I think for me, yeah. it's still this, for me, it's still, that, I think you're right. Relinquishing for me, it's control is what, repentant is yeah. going okay i'm i'm open up my hands i mean by the way uh it was it was so half my life ago now uh andy stanley was uh, preaching a message i don't remember the passage but he talked about firefighters i've shared it before but kind of the big idea was if you could see as god sees you would do as god says mm-hmm. and so i can remember him closing uh having us close our eyes i mean it was a summer camp you know like emotionally driven all like i said he did a great job and he remembers saying okay what is god what is it that god's showing you that he sees what is he telling you that you can trust him because he sees something that you can't see he sees something you can do and he's like grip your hands tight hold on to whatever that thing is and what is it what is it that you're holding on to that god can see that you can't see and i remember in that moment like i have very few moments i mean the reason i'm here is as a result of that moment and that moment specifically was i remember going okay god i can't see my future hmm. so i thought that I'd give God my future, which in my mind, ministry, whatever else is. But it was really that kind of thing, of like that kind of repentance of going, how in the world am I trying to dictate 15 years from now, mm. 20 years from now? By the way, this is not where I'd be mm. if I were dictating it. I'm not complaining about right, it. I love right. what it is. That's and true. so like, if you just peer into the future and go, there's no way all that can happen. Yeah. So I think there's something about just going, okay, God, you have to be in control. And this guy, he's looking for affirmation about his way and his yeah. control. And he's now looking down on the wrong roof. And yeah. literally the scriptures say, He's sad, which I'd go, hey, buddy, Yeah, you don't want to give up your plan, but could you pause for a second and think about your feelings? Right, right. Let's think about your feelings here. Like, right. what are your feelings saying, telling you about right. your belief? Because, which I can talk about this last week, right? That sadness you got there, right? Yeah. What is that saying? What it's saying is you now are hopeless because your way doesn't get you what you want, right. but you don't want to do what's required of you. Which, by the way, all that's required of you is to sit down at Jesus' feet and let him take care. Yeah. So it's really interesting to think about that and go, hey, can, can you sit on the couch for a second? Let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. And then I go, no, that's not for him right now. It's for me. Yeah. So it's got to reveal to me in that. So. That's good. I want to get to the comparison of, of Zacchaeus. Yeah. But before I do that, I want to bring up uh, our question. Um, and it, it does reference back to verse 24 and 25 where it's talking about the camel. Um, passing through the eye of a needle. And this is what it says. It says, I've heard another preacher talk about Luke 18. He said that the eye of the needle refers to a gate in Jerusalem that was very narrow. So narrow that camels could not get through unless their loads were taken off first. I thought it was very interesting and memorable. Is this true? Um, Historically, there's some some conversation about this. So you you got a couple different pieces, the yo truth. Okay. it's not in the scriptures. We can't find that place. Right. But there's a lot of stuff that aren't in the scriptures that we know about. Like, you know, like even the process of a Seder meal or Passover. There's a little bit we get in the scriptures. Right. But there's also, you know, some some church context. We still glean from the works of Josephus, the mm-hmm. Jewish historian, to kind of understand what's going on there. 
So it doesn't say that in the scriptures. Now, if you look back in history, and I may be getting numbers wrong, it seems like that story's been told pretty often for at least 1500s. Maybe there's even an allusion to it in the 900s. So 900 years after this, there is some evidence. There's nothing before that that we could see. And so there are folks that lean into it. And I, I think it's neat. I think it's, ah, oh, it's really neat. And, uh, context, but the reason I didn't share it specifically is going, okay, I don't know for sure it's true. And then I go, okay, well, at least I can share it as the anecdote. Right. But the, what I really struggle with is this idea that if it's that really narrow gate and it says that camel can actually get through, it just has to remove all the baggage. There's still something about if I, I think that therefore the, the, uh, the moral of that story, the takeaway would be, okay, empty your baggage and then you can right. go in. Right. But there's still something about the fact that I don't personally think I can get in. And right. so the reason I think, ah, it's a really neat story. I wouldn't want to teach it mainly, which I think it's a good question. I think a good question. And don't don't judge anybody for teaching it. I think there's some good stuff that God could use in it, has used in it for centuries. But I think the big piece is immediately after the, the, uh, the other folks hear that, they go, well, who can be saved then? Right, right. So it's like, 26, right. yeah, so who can be saved then? Does that mean only the people who take off the baggage? Like, is that what that means? And then what Jesus says there, what's impossible with man. Right. So if that's the case, if it's impossible with man, it seems like the camel can actually get through that little eye in Jerusalem right, um, right. without it being So it's possible and plausible. It's just got some work to do. But Jesus goes, what's impossible with man? I think that's a really important word, right. meaning it is not possible. It would require, remember, something supernatural. It would require right. God's faithfulness and our faith yeah, to collide right. for this this kind of thing to happen. And so I think it's a really good question. I think it, there's a lot to consider in it. I haven't found the gate, uh, the camel gate or, or the eye of the needle gate or that kind of stuff. But yeah. maybe, maybe not. I think the bigger context there is Jesus is helping this guy see and the sadness and all of us see thousands of years yeah. later what we're actually up against, which is no matter what we do, we don't have access. Yeah. There's no check we can write. There's no way we can perform. There is no way to get access to the kingdom except through him. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, so thank you for that yeah, question. Great question. Just a, a reminder. We like to throw this out pretty much as much as we can. If you have questions, please email us at clcfamily.church or excuse me, overtime at clcfamily.church. I promise this is only the 10th week of doing this. But yeah, overtime at clcfamily.church. You can email your questions there or just write it on the back of the bulletin. So um uh, and I think and I've got to look at the emails. Oh, so maybe, you can go. I'm listening to you. We have more let's questions. See, let's see, let's see. We'll find to out. It. And in this sense, it'll be a, uh, a live one. Here we go. So let's see. So, we... oh. <laughs> He's got to verify that it's yeah. actually him. So, <laughs> you, we can keep going. So here's here's kind of moving on as we get into Zacchaeus. And I'm not sure. Nope. Kind of looking at the time. I'm not sure if I should ask specific pointed questions. About I, I understand what you're saying. There. I'll try to be um, pithy with my responses. No, I wasn't even trying to say that. No, no, that's what you're saying. I'd rather sure. be aggressive than passive aggressive, yeah. but whatever. Um, so I guess as overall, as you start to compare kind of this rich young ruler, then you have Zacchaeus who kind of does the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? Like he's despised and hated by his own countrymen because mm-hmm. he's a tax collector. And I don't know yeah. if we need to dive into that. I feel like you explained that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um or if there's more to explain in that, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I think ultimately some of you have to go, um, what would you be willing to do to have the level of comfort you want? Mm. So, like, what price would you pay? Like, yeah. what kind of job would you do? Like, mm. would you do a job that was immoral as long as you could do it legally? Like, mm. uh, could you cheat on your taxes if you never, if you knew you never got caught? Could you mm. take money? Like, and many of us live in a, a, yeah. a gray area where... 
we're not as bad as Zacchaeus, but there are things in our life that reflect, if we were to look at, think about it, uh, the fact that we steal or manipulate and using a system to get more gain from it, right? right? And right. so I think that's the piece. While Zacchaeus, uh, there's one piece you had to go, this is a really bad man who does really, really bad stuff. So that means God's grace is available, right? But let's actually see ourselves not as the other right. people. Let's see ourselves as Zacchaeus. Because we all got that in us. Right. We all have done something in the last month, six months, where you go, that was borderline sketchy. Yeah. And you would probably use the word, well, technically. The minute the word technically shows up, it's going to see. There's something a little off about the fact that we're doing that, saying yeah. that, you know, doing that. Even if you want to go really look back at your taxes, right? There's like, technically, you probably can get away with that. But is there something in it? Right, right. You know, like, really, technically, you probably could take those office supplies home. Really, you know, like just not that, that no, it's uncomfortable, right? It's like, oh man, so we should probably see ourselves. I'm thinking of all the copies that I've made, I that know. ended up in my house. Thanks a lot for giving to this church. <laughs> Way to go! That was a good setup. That was a good setup. So, uh, but anyway, you get all this stuff going on, just like we probably should see that. But here's yeah. the really thing I want. I think we should see. Remember, this is Jesus' creed. Yeah. That first guy who goes, I got my creed. I follow the rules. I don't have adultery. I don't steal. I don't do those things. I don't lie. And now I got this perfect life. Jesus goes. Yeah. That creed has actually only got you here. Don't look. Is that where you want to be? Oh, I actually want to get eternal life. Well, I know I can't get that. That's that's beyond my control. How do I get that? Well, you actually have to relinquish the false control you have. And he goes, I like my creed too much. Mm-hmm. So you see this other guy who yeah. doesn't like his creed. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where he's a grown man running down the middle of the street. You don't do that now, much less then. And climbing up into the doing that. Saving a kitty? You know, like, what is this? Like, this is strange, right? Like, unless you're a firefighter, you know, whatever it is. So, so this is a, a really unique situation. You go, well, what brought him to that? Yeah. Uh, awareness. I brought him that. He had some thoughts. My thoughts are, this is not the life that I want. I don't even have a friend. I have no connection, and I can't fix this. I can't yeah. buy my way out of it. I can't write a check to resolve all this. So, therefore, there is no hope or new belief, or maybe there's one who can hope. I hear Jesus is in this town. So, he's in Jericho. Jesus shows up. And so, he he's already done all the hard work, just to be honest with you. He's already come to that conclusion because he's seeking, right. seeking some kind of uh, res- resolution, which leads to some rest- uh, restitution and restoration. Right? That's some cute, cute words there, right? But so I think he's already done a lot of that work because he's up in a tree <laughs> looking for Jesus, right? And so you got two different people. What you're seeing is one is still clinging to his old ways and his own own, yeah. own creed that isn't helping him. Which is going. We've gone eight weeks in this. At some point, we have to come to the conclusion that our way of living, like even me, going, I can't live in this anxious thoughts all the time. Something's got to change, and either I can fix it or I can't. I have no coming to the conclusion that I can't fix it. So, therefore, I probably should look to the one who can. Yeah. So, what it look like to obey him? So, that's where we find Zacchaeus in yeah. this, this place of real openness and awareness. So, when you think about Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who opens the door, I'll enter and I'll dine with them. There is a place of response for us, which is we have to be open enough to unlock the door and open it. Yeah. So, one guy goes, nope, not interested. Knock on the door, not interested, right? Think about all these different people. You know, loitering outside your house, and you go, no, nope, not interested. And Zacchaeus is going, I am interested in what you have. Yeah. So it's more about the position and the posture yeah. in this. So all the hard work's been done by the time it happens here. Yeah. And so he gives what? What was it? Half of his possessions to the poor. He 
if he wronged anybody, he was given four times back yeah. and then half of his possessions to the poor. Just like instantaneously. Like they didn't even get to his house, right? Jesus just said, I will go to your house. And all of a sudden there's this miraculous Zacchaeus is like, this is what I'll do in response. Yeah, so that's not how he gets his salvation. But if you're, yeah. like if you're an accountant or number cruncher, I'm not sure how this works. Because you yeah. give half of it away, you only have half left. <laughs> if you've wronged anyone, well, who haven't you wronged, Zacchaeus? Uh, I don't know. You know, like you stole from every single person you collected taxes every from. Every country. Member, so, right? yeah, yeah, so every single person, your income was based on their work. Yeah. So your 70% that you got from them, if you're giving it back to them, you have zero dollars left. Like I, yeah. I think that's probably a commission basis, you know. Yeah. Like, and so this is a this is a really bad strategy for for fiscal responsibility. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't know how he's getting this back, but I'll tell you, like you see it um, in lots of passages that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and the parables he says is like the kingdom of God is finding a piece of land and going, I don't care, right. that's what I want, and go back and sell that's everything right. else, right? So there is something about when you finally get this, you go. Nothing else really matters. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't matter. And so I don't know how Zacchaeus does it. Other than he makes a commitment, he gets salvation. And so I don't know. I'd be really neat to go, hey, Zacchaeus, yeah. how'd you pay that back? Did yeah. you, I mean, did you invest wisely? Like, did you have a bunch of rental properties? Yeah. And I don't know how this works, but I think that's not the picture of going, let's figure out pragmatically what Zacchaeus is doing. Instead, let's see what happens when your heart is completely right. open right. and transformed by the God of the universe. If I am being pragmatic, like, I, yeah. I, I feel like I start thinking into, like, if he wronged his countrymen, like, did they just embrace him back? Like, did they give money? And then it was like, oh, okay, all's forgiven. Like, it, what I guess I'm, in my mind, I'm building up. I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. Yeah. You can tell me if it's wrong. But in my mind, I'm going, there was a lot of work to be done, even yeah. after he's giving it. And Zacchaeus was willing yeah. to walk into that. Yet, again, kind of comparing yeah. the rich young ruler, he didn't want to do any of it. I'm going, man, what? I'm just curious. I, because, again, this this is not a parable. This is a story. He gave us our money back, and so we're cool now. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. And so, if you've been hanging out for 50 minutes, you're about to get something really beautiful here. So the same thing happens with Paul later. So you got Saul, murders people, becomes <laughs> Paul, and people are like, hey, you should preach at your church. <laughs> right. And they're going, this guy, and they're going, no, no, no. no. <laughs> so what happened for them to be able to welcome Saul as Paul? Did yeah. he write a check? No, you know what happened? The resurrection. Yeah. So he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. It changed his life and everybody else around him. Yeah. And so... My guess, and this is just yeah. pure speculation, yeah. my guess is it was hard for Zacchaeus for a while. They're taking the money back. They're not his buddy. They're waiting a while. They're probably going, hey, let's see in a year. Like, he's still lonely. A couple people are walking in, but they're whispering about it. And they're going, we're the good people. We're trying to restore Zacchaeus. He can live in our barn, whatever it is, right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus is murdered on a cross. Oh, yeah. And then he comes back to life. And it changes everything. It changes everything. All of a sudden, they're going, that's the guy? That's why you did this? How do you get this? How do I follow him? What, you talk to him? Like, the yeah. resurrection literally changes everything about that relationship and all the relationships for, for Paul and Barnabas yeah. and all these guys. I'm going, that's, good. that's actually what we have. Yeah. Like, we have the resurrection. So we have that forgiveness. And we have that restitution and that restoration. So the resurrection, that's why I love N.T. Wright. I love some of his thoughts. A uh, book that you should all read called Surprised by Hope. Beautiful book. It's fairly academic. Um, but the idea that Jesus, the, the same power that stored the resurrection mm-hmm. is what 
available to us and it's not for when we go to heaven mm. like he shows us at when he resurrected actually says the people in the tombs also came out they're giving you a real picture of what's to happen and so to be honest with you if i'm seeing dead people walking around and jesus walking around i'm not that interested in zacchaeus's money That's anymore true. i'm going you you are you're an early adopter in this Zacchaeus. Yeah. You're an early adopter. Tell me how you understood this and yeah. know this because I want that now. Yeah. Because it now all of a sudden money and things just don't matter when the resurrection is in front of you. So I think That's the good. resurrection really helps that probably. That's good. So, That's yeah. good. I'll good preach. answer. I'll preach. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I feel like I'm coming to kind of an end. Um, the parable, uh, anything that else you would want to share from that? Um, or just as a general overview, yeah. like is there anything that you left on the cutting room floor? That's the, that's the regret I have trying to set up money. And I, I wish we had spent more time on the, the parable. Just yeah. didn't. And be honest with you, it's, these parables, the parable of the minus, parable of the talents, are of the utmost importance to me as a church yeah. leader. Yeah. So, um, you know, we do get calls. Uh, what, what, what's not normal is whatever it is. We were averaging 400 folks on the weekend. Uh, this last week was 780-something. Two weeks ago, it was 850-something. So I guess twice what we were at, you know, experiencing, maybe 40, 50, or 75% more. And So there are people asking questions, particularly friends, family, not family, friends and other places who are kind of seeing the 7% or more decline that the, right. that the, the American church is seeing. Right. On average, 7% is going the other way. Right. So that's a pretty big gap. 7% of the church is leaving every single year right now. And so they'll ask, okay, what's, what is it? Why are people coming here? And I'll go, it's candles. We like candles. And <laughs> once you like candles, uh, you know, like it's, it's just so it's like, true. so hip and cool. Yeah. You know, it's just candles. So I had to look candles. to see yeah. if on no, the stage we if they were lighting candles. candles. That's, That's my boss um, in Montana. Vern used to joke about all the time. Just candles, right? But there is something when people ask, I'm going, there are two growth strategies. Not just about growth, but it, Right. Well, the, the Bible and Acts says that the, the church grew in faith. Yeah. I mean, there is this foundational piece and in numbers. So there's something in that. Um, there's two pieces of scripture that talk about how church growth happens, how growth happens in Christian community. One of them is Acts 2, where they, you know, they met together, broke bread together, you know, committed to the, yeah. the apostles' teaching. Wow, we got to get another round of small groups run in January for, yeah. for that piece. And, you know, held everything in common. There's something about that, that you see growth. The only other place you can find growth in the scriptures has to do with this parable of talents, right? So when someone is entrusted with something, if they are good stewards of it, mm. um, then there's more. So when I was at Harvest, we did a money series. And what we came up with really, really, um, really, we coined a new term. It's a stupid term. There's some videos. Maybe I'll post them one day of it, of doing a spelling bee. It's pretty funny. But um, the term was selflessness. Okay. Selflessness. I, I don't even think I can okay. say it. So I want to so try and selfless. Selflessness. Ishness. So selflessness. So it's selfishness and selflessness combined. Okay. And, and so here's kind of the picture. It Here's about how we define it, right? Selflessness is um, the art of getting what you really want by giving what you already have, right? Okay. So it's saying there's something more I want, and I want to get that. That's selfish. Well, how do you get that? By being selfless, okay. right? Selfless-ishness. Okay. So there is something in the scriptures about going, when I am a good steward of the things that God entrusts me with, he gives me more of those things and blesses me and gives me the influence like the cities that I want. Yeah. Frankly, I want to be really honest. I want our church to have immeasurable influence in our community, yeah. right? I want it to have more influence than any politician, any business. I want it, I want it to have immeasurable influence, not because 
I want to be in charge of it because the gospel is true and Jesus is real, right? right? right. Not because I have anything good to say, not anything that I can offer or we can offer, but right. that is really true. And so there is something about this. As I tell people over and over again, um, I think you start all desires of moving forward with stewardship. Mm-hmm. We used to be a good steward of all that God's entrusted us to. So selflessness is the art of getting what you want by giving what you already have. Okay. So what is it that we have? How do we give that in a way to get what we really want, which is access and participation and pleasure in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's just really important that everybody every day is walking through this inventory of going, what has God given us? And if God has given it to me today, um, then I should use it today. Yeah. So that there's that definition of contentment. Contentment is if God hasn't given yeah. it to you yet, then you don't need it. Right. Flip side of that is, therefore, if he's given it to you, then you should use it. Now, I did have a question that came to me afterwards. And it was a beautiful, beautiful question of going, well, what do I, how do I, one a person basically said, hey, I'm older than my spouse. I'll probably die before they will. Okay. So if we're talking about leveraging what we have right now for the kingdom, is there a, a principle or stewardship that I should think about, about okay. taking care of them there? And I do okay. think there is this idea that we have to consider future-funded ministry. Okay, so what is it? Well, how do I imagine that not only I do this today, yeah. but I'm going to do it 10 years from now, right? There are times in my life where I had to give less energy to the church because I was giving more energy to graduate school, hmm. right? But that was an investment into right. Right. future-funded ministry. So there is something. This is I'm not saying throw all your money to the wind. I'm saying let's not just save for a rainy day when there's rainy days all around us, yeah. but let's prepare ourselves to continue to leverage whatever it is to continue to have resources later. So if you're putting money away now into savings, into retirement, what that means is you are getting more of your time and resources back later in that. Right. So there is some good stewardship and principles that uh, the proverb says, the prudency, danger, and take refuge. Yeah, but the right. simpleton goes on to destruction. So that makes sense that we would consider not only what does God want to do now for our church. We're thinking it all the time, but we're also going, what does God want six months from now? Right. Uh, you know, some of our dreams is to see a big warehouse built on the back of this that could have you know the size of our church it in, in you know outside the climate like right. outside precipitation where we could have big church events we could have sporting events like i said so that we could be a good steward of all this property for our entire community but that requires us to do some forethought and thinking right so um some of us are bent better that way and want to do that i'm not interested in that stuff so it's going how do i find people who are bent that way to think about those things yeah. so i can get up today and serve the Lord and use our gifts that way and then get up tomorrow. So maybe worth kind of considering. And I, yeah, no, that was a good question. Yeah. So thank you to whoever asked that question. It's a, a really good thought. Yeah, so right, yeah. um, just looking at time, we've got a couple minutes left. Is there anything else in addition to that that you wanted to say or bring up? No, I, I think, I mean, I think there is just okay. a, a practice in this. I think yeah. it's, um, you know, every now and then my, the Seven Eleven down the street will close. Or whatever it is will close because they'll have to do an inventory. Yeah. Like they'll have to figure out what <laughs> <laughs> and say, what is it that I have? Like why 